Air Canada Flight 143 makes an unscheduled stop in an unusual way on this episode of the Taking Off Podcast. Welcome to the Taking Off Podcast. I'm Dan Milliken. And I'm Cozy Christy Wong. <laughs> Cozy. Yes. Yeah, so I, I'll tell you the business, the building management here at the studios has been keeping it really, really cold o- over on our side of the building. Yeah. And I dressed for it to be 109 degrees Fahrenheit outside. Which, which it is outside. Our, yes. And uh, and uh, yeah, it. that's why I carry a blanket in my office because... It is cold here. So for those of you watching the podcast on YouTube, you are going to notice that I am very bundled up because I'm wearing shorts and a tank top. Yes. And it's like 55 degrees in here. <laughs> it is cold. It is cold. Well, Christy, today we're talking about the famous Gimli glider. And this story, while not the longest glide of an airliner, uh, was certainly one of the most publicized because of all the different factors. And uh, just real quick, tell us the the facts about this, uh, the the who, what, where, when. Yeah, so this particular airplane was piloted by a two-man flight crew. It was uh, Captain Bob Pearson, and I believe the first officer was first officer, was it Marcus Quintal? Quintal or Quintal? I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Um, And it's a 767. Yeah, they were an experienced flight crew, very professional uh, the day before the airplane had gone through some weird like maintenance hiccups with the way that the flight management system was recording the fuel. Yeah. And so maintenance had come out. They had like done their maintenance thing, released it back to service. And it actually did a flight that day before with no issues. Well, the day that this incident happened, which was in July of 1983, I had just graduated high school. It was just before my first birthday. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) Holy cow. Right. I'm sorry. So um, just facts, Dan. Um, But they were getting ready to uh, do their flight. Um, The flight was what? Montreal to Edmonton. Edmonton. Yeah, Edmonton. Not very far. No, no, no. Not super far. 41,000 feet was was their altitude. That just seems high. I mean, they'll send us up as high as possible. It's all about fuel savings, and it okay. depends on where you can catch the winds. There's a lot of factors there. But, um, like, for example, side note, but they'll file us far away sometimes, but file us at, like, 250 because, you know, which is 25,000 feet because that's where the best winds are. Mm. That's it. We might have 100-knot tailwinds, you know, versus going up high and have headwinds or something. But either way, this is what they were filed for. And there was a lot of back and forth going on. And there was another maintenance technician that came out. And the first link in the chain with this particular incident was that um, they had a backup. Um, what what did they call it? It was like the FQI. FQIS. Yeah, FQIS. The fuel quantity indicator sensor. There you go. Yeah. He disengaged the wrong sensor. From my understanding. He is who? The captain the, or the sorry, first sorry, officer? Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. The maintenance technician. Maintenance technician. Yeah. He came out, did something because they had a backup one. Well, he disengaged the wrong one. And uh, so that, start, that was the first link in the chain. The next link was that they... So because of that, they actually had to use like a dipstick effectively. An actual dipstick into the wing tank. Right. Basically to measure the fuel. 
So they normally in the airlines and or in jets in general, instead of gallons uh, or vol, you know, which is a volume measurement that we use here in the states, we use pounds, weight, which is weight. So um, or some uh, a more scientific term for that would be mass. Right. So they take it from volume to mass, and so in this case, they said, okay, well, we need to take it from what was it liters, and they had to interpret it into like kilograms or whatever or yeah or vice versa yeah right and so they miscalculated it liters to kilograms yeah you take it from volume to mass and so they or you know they were taking it from that volume to weight they miscalculated it so what they and then they programmed it into the fms the flight management and system. who they this time is the flight crew so the, the pilot the captain and the first officer correct so they thought they had more than enough fuel to make this flight, but they had less than half the required 45%. amount. 45%. Yeah, exactly. It was. I couldn't remember the exact yeah. number, but I know they had less, less than, than half. half. And um, so problems ensued as they were in the air. And that's where the fun starts happening because they start, um, they flame out, basically. Wow. And they go, okay, what are we going to do? Um, they started getting, you know, the alarms and everything else going off and they completely flamed out. So, um, I believe they deployed the rat, which is the Ram air turbine, which is like a little mini like windmill that'll pop out automatically if you lose electrical power. And that, that provides enough electrical power to power your like emergency system. So you'll have radio and, um, very limited flight controls um like you and you're not supposed to deploy the flaps past a certain amount et cetera, et cetera. Right. but it gives you just enough electricity to power your emergency functions right and and a note um this was actually the 767 was one of the first to include like an, an electronic flight system anyway so this was a new kind of thing in 1983 right with this Boeing 767, you know, this was like revolutionary stuff at the time. So they, they realize that they are in a real pickle. They need to figure out how, where they're going to land this airplane. Cause they're clearly not going to make it to Edmonton. Well, yeah, both engines flame out. And so they grab the checklist for two engine out. Right. They, I don't think they realize that they ran out of fuel just yet. Well, I do know that, um, I was saying that almost tongue in cheek there were when they reached for the emergency checklist there were no two engine check uh, two oh, engine out checklist yeah that's true that was one of the <laughs> okay. problems they had is this like holy cow there is no checklist for this emergency right so for example you and i being ga pilots and we fly single engine aircraft um as well as multi-engine aircraft but in a single engine aircraft if you lose your engine well that's your one and only so we kind of go through the abc right right airspeed best place to land checklist if possible and so that's kind of i think um captain pearson kind of went into ga mode because what a lot of people didn't or i i guess people didn't realize at the time or whatever he was an experienced glider pilot so right. he had a lot of inner which is just insane that he was the one piloting this airplane on this day because um he pulled out a lot of glider aerodynamic tricks out of his tool chest and applied it toward the 
the situation at hand, he actually pitched the airplane basically for best glide and was gliding well, it in. There wasn't a best glide. He had to guess. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so he picked 220 knots. Right. And um, meanwhile, the first officer is trying to calculate what they can they make Winnipeg. That was what their initial right. thoughts were. And then they realized they probably weren't going to be able to make Winnipeg, but they were flying over another field. Um, that the first officer was familiar with because he was a, a former field. Well, we'll get to that he, in a second. But didn't he know that it was former? Uh, I think they did know it was closed down. They it was a former Royal um, Royal Canadian Air Force. Yeah, and and it was like Glim, Gimli Field or whatever. Gimli Gis, Station. Gimli Station. Okay. Um, the RCAF Station Gimli. A closed Air Force base. So it was an Air Force base that the first officer had flown out of years before, but it was known to be closed. Okay. So they just figured, okay, well, we've got a runway. we got a runway. we got a runway. We're good to go. So they start getting in, and um, the captain realizes, well, at this point now they're too high, right? So he, he does one of the most... <laughs> baller things i've heard of in a situation he forward slips a freaking jet and uh, normally you would not slip a jet like people have asked me oh can you slip the jet like if you're too high not really because you need airflow going into the engines well you don't have any engines fortunately for them they had a double flame out because they lost you know that so they lost both engines and they so he was able to slip it in and he knew this maneuver very well having been a glider pilot being a glider pilot sometimes you got to slip it in so he does that, and as they get down, they realize kind of at the last second, this, there, this is this closed runway that they thought they were going to have was full of people. It had oh, well, been, and 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 hold that hold that thought for because that's that's the big thing. The uh, but going back to the whole thing about slipping, one of the reasons why is because they could not extend slats or flaps. right, yeah. Yeah, because they had lost all their power. That, and that's kind of why I said before, you can't, right. even with the rat deployed, you can't extend past a certain point. In fact, in order to keep the rat going, you have to keep your airspeed at a particular. And when you said that, you know, I was thinking, well, just do a 360. But they actually looked at that and didn't feel they had enough altitude right. to complete that so maneuver. They, yeah, well, it's a, and it's a tricky thing. It's They were too high, but they weren't high enough to be able to execute that 360. So in in captain pearson's mind he said well let's just slip it <laughs> so they did so then gimli airfield the closed station wasn't quite closed was it it wasn't closed it was full of people that day it because had been turned had, into like a motor sports complex or something half of it yeah okay yeah and they had actually over the main runway had created had built a guard a guardrail or rail for drag races right and so there was you know, they had that built up on the, the runway, but neither the pilots or ATC knew about that. Right. At the time, they thought it was a good idea. Right. Like, oh, great. How fortunate for us. So, but the, as they get down, they start seeing stuff on the ground and they're like, oh, oh man, now we're in an even bigger pickle. Yeah. So then what happened? <laughs> so they get in or they, as they get in, they're like, we're just going to have to land it. Like they had no other option at that point. Well, talk about the gear. So, um, 
Now, if they can't extend slats and flaps, how are they going to extend gear? You can extend. There's an emergency gear release. And it's gravity fed. Right, exactly. So basically, you just dump all, any of the hydraulic pressure that's holding the gear up. You dump it, and it just kind of free falls in. So um, I'm trying to remember what happened with the gear. Well, okay, so the front gear didn't didn't lock. Right, the, that's the mains right. did. The mains did. And, and the fact that that's the front right, gear they... didn't lock actually saved yes. a lot of people yes that's right yep because uh, i remember i i couldn't remember why but i remember the nose gear collapsing yes um and but that, the main that gear added was friction enabled them to stop sooner correct and right. not run into the uh right and, and the, also no engine so this plane was silent it was a glider right and so nobody saw it coming nobody has thought to equip the 767 with a horn yet Yeah, right so there was really no way so i mean really it would it wound up being like people looked up and saw this giant airliner coming into land and they skedaddled out of there so yeah they they land the the nose wheel collapses and then they slide in and nobody died i don't even think there were really any major injuries or anything like that no the only injuries were with the nose wheel collapse the tail was sticking up high and so people that that um had to get out disembarked of the, from yeah. the back um, came down a little bit fast, and so there were a few minor in injuries that way. But the racers and the people on the ground um, quickly extended, extinguished the little bit of fire that was in the main, the nose gear from that collapse, that friction. Right, exactly. So, I mean, those are that's a basic overview of what happened in this case. I just thought it was really cool that Captain Pearson had been in a, like this glider pilot and effectively knew what to do um and i can say that now having been an airline pilot for a couple of years when you don't stay proficient with hand flying either in ga or gliders or whatever else you start to kind of lose that yeah this guy was a real true pilot he wasn't just a button pusher or somebody who just you take off and then immediately hit autopilot the guy knew stick and rudder right exactly he was a very stick and rudder pilot and i just feel that in this case it was so fortunate that he was the now he was also part of the problem <laughs> well the, but he was a huge part of the solution and that he was the one i mean it could have happened to anybody um the canada safety board um really pointed a lot of fingers at Air Canada for their maintenance and everything else. And they actually, in the report, praised the pilots for their their decision-making and their flying skills. Right. I mean, here's the thing, you guys, is I... Okay, so I've got recurrent this month, um, recurrent training airline pilots, depending on what airline you're at. Typically, you have to go to a recurrent training once a year, okay? For some airlines, it's more. And... I made a post on my social media. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Pilot Christie. I made a post saying, um, like, oh, it's that time of the year again. It's recurrent time, you know, just kind of throwing it out there for people. Right. Um, so if you've noticed I've been absent lately, this is why. Well, on my Facebook page, I had some people kind of razzing me, like, oh, did you forget where the buttons were and whatever? And, oh, my goodness. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, it's not about that. It's when you go through recurrent training, you're not just doing normal takeoffs and normal landings, like, because we do that all the time. You're doing emergency procedures that we don't get to practice. These non-normal procedures, those are the ones that throw us off. And for them to have to calculate the fuel the way that they did and go through those procedures, that was a very non-normal procedure. That's not something that they do on a daily basis. 
So I honestly don't fault them in that situation because it was so far off from their daily, you know, regime. They just, they messed up, you know? They did. And what's interesting here is the pilots messed up, but they were also praised. And, and at the end of the day, the captain was demoted for six months. Yeah. Which is interesting. And and the first officer was suspended for two weeks. And then three maintenance workers were also suspended. But in 1985, both the captain and the first officer were awarded the first ever Federation Aeronautique International Diploma. So they're given a medal for right. outstanding airmanship. So, so there is that. I feel, though, in this case, I feel like the punishment fits the crime. I mean, there was... Definitely, like I said, they they should have done better. At the end of the day, like it was still their job. Even in a non-normal situation, you still need to know. I think if people had died, it would have. This would have been a totally different conversation right. because um, I think back. I, I worked with my son um, in a Boy Scout-like organization as he was growing up, and they have a life-saving merit. But one of the the things about the life-saving merit, you cannot earn the life-saving merit. If you're the one that caused the, you know, the fire, as it were. So, right. you know, um, it's kind of interesting that the, the captain and first officer do get a medal um, for causing the problem that they had. But it's not like they were the main cause of the problem. Right. They no, contributed. They were, they they were, were a link in the chain. Um, yeah, they weren't the main cause. Captain Pearson, is he still alive? I don't know if he's still alive, but... No, no uh, the first officer died in 2015. Okay. Um, he re- so so well, Maurice. Here, it wasn't Marcus. It was Maurice. Maurice can Quint- tell. Yeah. Can tell. So um, what's what's interesting? This was only like the 47th 767 out of the out of the gate. Right. I mean, it was like new. <laughs> yeah. Well, the 767's first deal was 1981 so it right. was two years before yeah so very new airplane and they repaired this and it stayed on the line the gimli glider stayed flying for another 20 years no more than 20 years right so um i just have like a weird obsession every or a lot of people know that i like navades and things like that and i like you know i want to go see um I wanted to go see the Gimli Glider, and then I looked it up and saw that, sadly, they they sold it, and then it sat, I think, in the desert for a while, and then they scrapped it. <gasps> That's horrible. So, yeah, it was at the Mojave Desert. Yeah. I They scrapped the Gimli Glider, and— um, That's too That plane needed to be they, in— Yeah, and they apparently made some of those um, plane tags out of them, but I, I could never find any. I just thought <laughs> like it would be really Jimmy cool. Like our friend Jimmy from Jimmy's World with Elvis's plane. Right, exactly. But so sadly, the Gimli glider flies no more. But it's also like I would have absolutely. I'm that person that would have gone to the desert to go see. I it. would have gone. I would have gone. Yeah, like there it is, but um, it's it's not there. All right, so uh, that's the story about the Gimli glider, and um, just amazing that nobody was hurt, um, that nobody died. Uh, it just it's an amazing story all the way around. Um, 1983. Um, what are we 40 years ago now yeah don't remind me yeah yeah so all right well uh it was good talking about it and um for you guys listening thanks for listening to our taking off podcast don't forget our sponsors flying eyes use our discount code taking off all caps one word 10 percent off at flying also the best camera mounts and iphone mounts for your 
your plane. You can also use them for your car. That's actually where they've kind of made their mark is 67design, 67d.com. And clemensinsurance.net. Jerry has saved me a ton of money. So if you need any kind of insurance, check Jerry out. He will help you. Z-Vision, the brightest landing and taxi lights out there. Marshall Protective Services, mpsprotects.com. Colton Mortgage, for your residential mortgage needs, coltontakingoff.com. Our sponsors really make this happen. So if you guys can support them, it absolutely supports us. So Christy? Uh, final thought. I actually just read that they had a uh, final appeal or a successful appeal, sorry, um, to their suspensions. So oh, really? Yeah, so their suspensions were overturned. I, I just read that. Years later? Um, are you while they were serving it their said suspension? that the aircraft was temporarily repaired at Glimley and flew out two days later to be uh, fully repaired at a maintenance base in Winnipeg. Following the full repair, the aircraft was returned to service with Air Canada. Following a successful appeal against their suspensions, Pearson and Quintal were assigned as crew members aboard another Air Canada flight. Awesome. So good to see that, uh, you know, their contribution didn't hurt their careers. Yeah, exactly. And their incredible flying skills is an inspiration to pilots everywhere. Absolutely. All right, you guys, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on the Taking Off Podcast. <laughs>